0: So before we start, I want you to just close your eyes on that last song that uh, Bob had us sing. It's more about him. And uh, months ago, we, we did an exercise where, uh, where people uh, would come forward and, and talk about things that, that God had done in their life. And what I want you to do right now where you're sitting is I want you to think about the last week, maybe the last couple weeks of your life, and I want you to worship and praise God for the things that he did. Ask him to show you things that he specifically did in your life. Moments in time where he maybe blessed you with something or, or he used a person in your life to encourage you or, or you, just, you just stopped and you were just amazed at how, how good he is and how great he is. And just worship him, thank him, praise him. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I want to jump right in. If you would turn to the book of Titus, please. Chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. The book of Titus is towards the back of the New Testament. Which is the last group of books in your Bible, if you're not familiar with it. If you get to Timothy First Timothy, then you'll hit Second Timothy, and then you'll find Titus just kind of tucked away in there between, between Timothy and Philemon and Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 11 For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us. And let's just stop right there. Four words here in these, this first verse and a half. Grace. Salvation appeared and teaches. Now, those aren't in your notes, um, but, but that's along the lines that we're going to be talking this morning. Grace, salvation appeared and teaches. So let's start with grace. God's wonderful grace. His grace didn't come brand new with Jesus. It says right there that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared, meaning Jesus, He came. It's, it's the mystery that's being revealed that Paul talked about uh, in some of his other letters. But you see, God has always been gracious. Since before the beginning and the creation of time, God has been gracious. It just became very, very visible when Jesus became the God-man. Uh, it, it was displayed in his humble birth, his compassionate actions and, and words, and above all, in his death and his re- resurrection on, on our behalf. Jesus Christ the incarnation was the aha moment of history. It is here. We see it. There were people that touched him and talked to him. It was a reality. Paul says that it appeared to all men. In other words, in a sense, it was now publicly offered to everyone, even slaves, as we saw last week. Whatever class of of people or socioeconomic or, or race that you fall into, the gospel has appeared for all. And then grace appeared, this salvation. There is no doctrine found in Scripture that is more precious to us as human beings than the doctrine of salvation. And there is no word that is more important to the doctrine of salvation than the word grace. The fact that God... The creator of all things would reach down from heaven and rescue a bunch of stinking sheep that we are. And there is no other word that explains it more than the word of grace. He would reach down, us undeserving sinners who, without Jesus, are in bondage to sin. That's just what we do. That's who we are without a savior eternally dead and destined for a place called hell. Forever separated from God can only be described in one word and that word is grace. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Our modern culture, however, proclaims and wants us to believe that that's too too narrow-minded. That's just, it just can't be that. It can't just be Jesus. In fact, our culture has tried to expand the ideas of even contemporary religion. There are theologians, contemporary theologians, who I'm not going to bore you with the things that they say this morning, but they they actually believe these things that that I'm going to talk about here in a second. The first one, and these you you just need to write under the the uh, introduction in your notes, if you're taking notes, um, these things are uh, our contemporary religion's version of salvation. The first one is universalism or pluralism. Those two kind of fit together. Essentially, that means that, um, that salvation teaches that there's just, there's many ways to get to heaven. There's many ways to get to the Father. There's lots of roads In other words, all roads lead to God. So everyone, everyone who is born on this planet will eventually get to heaven. Doesn't matter if you're a, a Buddhist or a Mormon or a, or a Christian. There's just many roads. Everybody is on the same path. We're headed to the same place. That's, that's, like, that's like being in the airport in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, and saying that every plane is going to the same place. Trust me, they don't. My son was stuck in Houston last week, and they said, he said, I need to go to Denver. And they said, what did they say? We can't get you there from here. <laughs> Whoa, okay. I mean, what they meant was there are no planes obviously going through. So not all planes lead to where you want to go. That's universalism and pluralism. The second school of thought concerning salvation is called inclusivism. This one was actually kind of new for me this week. I've never heard it described in this way. Inclusivism affirms that Jesus is the only Savior, but that it is possible to be saved by Jesus even though you may never have personally trusted him for salvation. Uh, It teaches that you can receive salvation through a positive response to God's revelation in nature and conscience or possibly even through other world religions even though they may not necessarily teach solely that, well, of course, if they did, they would be right, but that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There are other ways. You just you need to be good enough, or, uh, which, which actually uh, fits into uh, religions that teach its, its works. You have to be good enough. I mean, look at the person next to you. Is there any way that you think and believe that they could be good enough to get to heaven or deserve heaven? All of our answers should be, no way. I know you too well. <laughs> um, because only, <laughs> Shirley's off the hook. There isn't anybody sitting next to her. Um, you see, that even though those religions don't really understand that the one true God who is Yahweh, who he really is, They may even use the same words, Jesus Christ, salvation, but they mean different, and they are just as lost. In fact, it is said that we may be able to recognize these anonymous Christians, this is actually a quote from a theologian, by the good deeds that they do. Now, it is true, Scripture tells us, that we are to be known by our love, right? But that love doesn't come before salvation. We're not doing those things in order to earn. We are doing those things because we are very grateful and our life is being changed by the grace of God. So with inclusivism, you you don't have to personally trust in Jesus Christ to get to heaven. The Bible is very clear that that is What is required. The third belief about salvation is called exclusivism. And that actually, you think, wow, that's kind of negative. But that actually is the one that describes what we believe. What the Bible teaches. And, And exclusivism is the orthodox evangelical position that teaches that salvation comes through a personal faith commitment to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That we are the objects of God's saving grace and mercy. And it also affirms the absolute uniqueness and finality of God's revelation in Jesus. There is no other revelation needed. There is no other truth needed. There is no other sacrifice needed. Jesus paid the debt for your sin and for mine. And there are a number of texts that are important concerning salvation. John chapter 3 teaches about our spiritual birth. Romans chapter 3 teaches us about justification, that it's, by, um, that it's uh, a gift given to us by Christ. It's by faith alone. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 teaches us about reconciliation, our reconciliation with God. Galatians chapter 3 teaches us about deliverance from the curse of the law. Hebrews chapter 7 through 10 uh, shows us that Jesus is our great high priest and that his perfect sacrifice was for our sin. 1 John 2 verse 2 and 4, chapter 4 verse 10, we see his propitiatory work of atonement. He took our place. And in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, we learn about the grace of God that brings salvation to all people. Paul highlights the grace and glory of God. Both grace and glory can be summed up in one word. In one name. It's Jesus. Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 14 says the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And then John chapter 1 verses 16 and 17, a few verses past that, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And what I want us to kind of catch as, as I read that is the fact that, that grace and truth are together. They're interwoven with each other. And we're going to see that as we continue through. Let's read the whole passage this morning. Uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, meaning grace, you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So if you're just jumping into this series, uh, one of the things that, that Paul left Titus uh, on the island of Crete for, uh, for two reasons. First of all, uh, a couple weeks ago he said, you need to uh, appoint elders. You need to appoint, uh, you need to appoint men. To, to stand in a position of, of teaching and authority for, for the people. And, and the other thing that those elders are supposed to do, and there's requirements for them in how they live and how they, uh, uh, how they are interacting with their relationship with Jesus Christ, the second thing was to straighten the people of Crete out. And if you think of your own life in our own world, boy, do we need straightened out. And, and one, Paul says, Timothy, or Titus Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So, this grace of God that brings salvation, Paul teaches. Paul says, teaches us. This grace teaches us. These then, verse fifteen, are the things that you should teach. So, think about schools that you have attended in your lifetime. Um, I was trying to think of a list of them. There's elementary school. There's preschool. There's high school. There's middle school. There's a higher school of learning. There's the school of rock. There's the school of hard knocks, right? Um, But did you know, but did you also know that there's a school of grace? A school of grace. Yes, we learn a lot in the school of grace. Grace not only teaches us, but it, it seems to also discipline us as well. It keeps us straight. It keeps us in line. It saves and keeps us. Paul gives us in his instructions to Titus four things that grace teaches us. First of all, God's grace teaches us how to live. It teaches us how to live. God's commands, some of which Paul talks about in reference to the Cretans in the first 10 verses of chapter 2, are rooted in his grace. Belief and behavior are woven together, and if our behavior or someone else's behavior doesn't match what we say we believe, then that belief is not rooted in the grace of God. See, faith without works is dead. You can say that you're all in, but your actions are going to show you whether you are or not. That applies to so many different things in our life than just just salvation. Grace makes our obedience in what God demands of us and our search for godliness possible. Paul says to to Timothy in in his second book, 2 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10, he, Jesus, has saved us and called us to a holy life. He saves us, grateful for that, absolutely. And, and more times than we, can, uh, than we can state, we see in the Bible where we're not to take advantage of the grace of God. Paul says, "Just what, so we just go on living? Do we just go on sinning so that grace may be great in our life? No, grace is never not going to be great in your life. We need it when we sin. He restores us, but we should not take advantage of it. We should seek God's God's grace has come to us, verse 11 says. It has appeared to all, and God's grace changes us. It changes our attitudes, it changes our priorities, it changes how we understand ourselves, it changes how we understand other people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us how to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives. It changes us. God's grace teaches us how to live. Number two, God's grace also teaches us where we should look. We operate under the teaching of the grace of God while we wait, verse 13 says. While we wait for the blessed hope, As we live in this world, in the lives that we are living today, that you are, the the journey of life that you are in, we look for his coming. I remember my grandparents always talking about that, always talking about that. You know, when is Jesus gonna come? Do we talk about that today? I mean, in a way that's not fearful. You know, many, many times it's like, oh, 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 the, the end of the world is coming. What are we going to do? Huh. No, but if you were in Christ Jesus, that end coming, no matter what it's like, no matter how difficult it is or um, it's, Jesus is retu- going to return and we need to look to him. We need to look forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Hope, as we do, enters our lives. This world is not our home. We are foreigners in a foreign land. Visitors. There is a greater place, eternal life waiting for us. The rooms have been prepared. We simply need to accomplish what God has for us here. Then we will go home. In his time, when he chooses... And I want to ask you, are you struggling in your life today? Are you, have you lost hope in the world, in humanity, in, in yourself? And, and what I want to really encourage you to do, if that's where you're at, is fix your gaze heavenward. Take your eyes off of this world and focus it on the kingdom of God. Focus it on what he teaches us about himself. Look heavenward for the coming of our one and only hope. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2, John says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, when he returns, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Just, just like... My brother says time and time again at the death of, of a friend or a family member when, our, when my dad died, who we know was in Christ, my brother said, and now he knows. And now he knows. And when we are in Christ Jesus, and I pray all of us are, when we pass from this earth to the next, we will know. And we don't just look for anyone coming from heaven, but we look forward to someone specifically someone specific coming from heaven. It's not going to be the angel Gabriel or Michael or any other created being. We look for our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our great God. He's not just the greatest God. He is the God. The one and only. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in Christ Christ, All the fullness of the deity, capital D, lives in bodily form. Jesus was God. God's grace teaches us how to live. God's grace teaches us where we should look and to whom we should look for as we wait. And number three, God's grace teaches us who is Lord. Verse 14. This grace, this salvation that came in Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. It's it's Jesus. Jesus took care of the past. He's taking care of us right now in the present and he will come and take us and possess us in the future. You see, Jesus paid for us. This this is the past, and and that is justification. Uh, Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are delivered from sin's penalty. The the debt has been paid. See, because of our sin, there there is a consequence. A a, a consequence that we are unable to, to nullify ourselves but one that Jesus did in his death and his resurrection. He took care of us in the past. Jesus also purifies us. This is the school of grace we are in right now, in the present, living our life. We are delivered from sin's Power. We are no longer controlled by our urges and our human sinful nature. Not that that doesn't try to influence us and change us. We're trying to, to, to control that again. But the power has, been, has left us. And we're retraining our flesh. And the theological word for that is sanctification. Justification. Sanctification. And as our Lord Jesus Possesses us. We are his today. We are his children. But we will also be his in the future. We are not only delivered from sin's power. But we will be delivered from sin's presence. It won't be here anymore. We will have new bodies. Can't wait. Those aches and pains in the morning. Uh, the, the, the after effects of cancer or chronic pain, one day, one day that will be gone. We will get new bodies. We will be in a perfect world. No tears, no sadness, no pain. No competition? I wonder. Because in our world, you know, competition kind of comes with negative things a lot. A lot. I would love to compete where it was, I'm still going to win, okay, I still want to win, but, but, you know, there are no sore losers, <laughs> including me, because as my wife would attest, I can be a sore loser sometimes. <sighs> I try not to throw cards, but sometimes I just can't help it. Or you get that sigh, you know, that <sighs> a lot, when you're just can't seem to Get the luck of the draw. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6 says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Now, this was written to to the Jews. And, And for whatever reason, Paul in this section, he is using Old Testament language when he's talking to the people on Crete. But when you look at that and you see the word Lord and you're looking in your Bible and you see that word Lord and it's not just capital L-O-R-D, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, but it's little, right? In your Bible? When you see that in your English Bible, it's the translation of the word Yahweh, which is the name that God gave himself. I am. And to me, whenever I read that word, it it I don't suppose it carries greater weight, but it carries a specific weight. Yahweh. Jesus purchased us to purify us, to possess us. Literally, to be his possession. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, he says, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine. Peter captures this image from Exodus to make the same point. Chapter 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's salvation. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God chose Israel at a period of time in the history of the earth to be a testimony and a witness to all the other nations. And then at one point in time when it was all revealed, when Jesus comes, and Paul communicates this very clearly, we as Gentiles are grafted into that nation. We are also his children and his possession. What security. What good news. And as we belong to him, we have a holy passion to do good works. Opposite of the Cretans who were disqualified or unfit for any good work. We have a consuming desire to honor and serve our great God and Savior because of his amazing work of redemption. Our everyday lives become about loving him and serving him. And if you profess to be a Christian and it's not your passion, you need to take a step back and you need to reevaluate. You know, we, look, we, we, we fail and we struggle and we have periods of time in our life where we doubt. But, but we never lose our salvation there are other people who are in the church who have, who have maybe lived, grew up, born in the church and they, they think that, they're, that they have salvation because they've just always gone to church. This is not inclusion theology we're talking about today because that fits into that. If your words don't match your actions, you need to take a step back and say, God, have I really surrendered my life to you? Or have I deceived myself to think that? And and listen to what he says. God's grace teaches us how to live. God's grace teaches us where we should look. It teaches us who is Lord. And finally, God's grace teaches us what we should learn. Look at verse 15. These then, Paul says to Titus, are the things you should teach. Uh, I think referring to what he's all already said in the letter and then what he says right here. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Now, John MacArthur says that verse 15 is one of the clearest and strongest statements in Scripture about the spiritual authority of men whom God calls to minister his word and shepherd his people. It is a great responsibility. Beginning with the verb speak or say, these are the things that you should teach. The man of God should speak in this way. So, let me back up again. Beginning with the verb speak or say, Paul then follows with three more imperatives of command. Encourage, rebuke, and let no one disregard. Okay, the man of God could speak in this way with all authority. Titus could speak with all authority. Paul could, Timothy could because of his authority, our great God and savior, Jesus Christ. That's where the authority comes from. From what Titus was to teach, we can see then what we should learn. So every time, uh, every time you go to a basketball game in Goshen County, is there, I suppose there's some people in the room who have never gone to a basketball game in Goshen County. Um, but, but if you were to go to a basketball game in Goshen County, um, the, the, the guy generally, well here, it's Mr. Lashley or that football announcer guy, um, says, right, ladies and gentlemen, Lingo Fort Laramie High School and, and then whatever other team, Pine Bluffs High School uh, would like to remind you today, oh, and the Wyoming High School Athletic Association would like to remind you today as you cheer on your team to join the ride, that you would cheer on your team with respect, integrity, dedication, and encouragement. This is how we ride. Great words. Respect, integrity, dedication, encouragement, and then there's this short circuit thing that happens after that statement to the rest of the game. Because then you got people yelling at the refs and they're yelling at their kids and they're yelling at the other kids. And so I don't care what you say or what you hear, that what you truly believe then translates into how you act and how you behave. And look, I'm not standing up here as the clean white crystal in all of this. You know, those of you that know me know that this is, always been a struggle. I'm gaining a lot, especially since I don't have kids in high school anymore. Um, It's just easier. But look, when you choose not to join the ride, there are consequences for that. You can get a yellow card or kicked out of a game. Your whole crowd could get kicked out of the game. You laugh, it happened two years ago. I won't go into details. <laughs> but here's, here's what we should learn from our passage this morning, and this is going to be kind of the final part of point four. Four D's, you know, the ride, respect, integrity, dedication, and encouragement. I didn't work that hard at trying to f- find words that fit into ride. It's four D's, and those four D's are doctrine, duty, discernment, and dedication. See, learning doctrine, learning the foundation of what we believe from scripture, that is something that we should do every day in our life. We need to know it. And we need to know why. Parents, if you teach your kids something over time and one day they say, why do we believe this? Why do we do this? You need to have an answer. Um, the Bible is filled with sound teaching. Paul's letter to Titus is a great place to start. As a believer, we need to know, need to know everything about the person and work of Jesus Christ as much as we can. Uh, we need to know what salvation is and, and how do people receive it. And, and how do I explain that to somebody if they ever ask me. And, and we need to know what God wants us to know about the church. The, the organization that is the church. Uh, not specifically maybe a building or or a specific group of people, but the church, what, what is our mission as the church in our world? We, God's grace teaches us about doctrine. God's grace also teaches us about duty. Four, there are 14 imperatives or commands in the book of Titus. Four of those are in this verse. Chapter two, verse 15. To encourage addresses our duty before God and men. Paul encourages others often. We are to encourage one another. We are to encourage others as well. Uh, Paul kind of comes alongside of us as he challenges us to live in the way that we should, as we look for the blessed hope. He did that with Timothy. He did that with Titus. We are to do that for one another. We all need to continue to learn what God calls us to in every aspect of our life. Or we just float in our boat down the stream of, of culture and that's not what we want to do. Doctrine, duty, and then there's discernment. Just as encourage speaks to the way that we should go, rebuke admonishes us in the ways that we should not go. We must be willing to listen to correction, and we shouldn't shy away from also standing for what is right, especially when it comes to the truth, capital T. Of scripture, We shouldn't compromise. We, we need to be discerning in how we live and what we say and what we teach and what we do. Discerning both error and danger in our midst. If there's something that, that we say or that we believe that's not true to scripture, we, we need to know what that is. We need to root that out. Pray for your leaders as they shepherd and protect us, the us, the sheep, with firm and steady hands. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Peter says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. He could have written that to, to Titus, couldn't he have, knowing what we know about the Cretans and, and what was happening there with those the, the group of the circumcision coming in and tried to lead them astray and line their own pockets. And then the last D is dedication. Dedication. Speaking and standing on the truth will not always be popular, but it will always be necessary. As we travel closer and closer to the end of days, it will take increasing con- courage and conviction to stand for the truth because it's not popular. Governments and, and honestly, denominations go against it in our world today. And those must be rooted in Christ. Rooted in Christ will enable us to stand humbly, confident, refusing to be intimidated by the enemy. Not allowing anyone to disregard us, to despise us. Or look down on us because we are looking upward and heavenward for our orders. And our orders come from our great God and Savior from and through his generous grace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace. Help us us all to understand what that looks like in our life. And I pray Lord Jesus that as we consider the truth the historical fact that a baby was born to a virgin and lived a perfect life and surrendered himself to death on a cross a Roman a Roman cross and on the third day was alive, conquering death and sin. Help us to, to see the truth in that and to believe. And, and as our Savior, <coughs> in truth and in, in grace, as we receive grace upon grace, help us, Father, to live for you not, not out of guilt or because we think we have to to earn your favor or your forgiveness, but because you have given us your favor and your forgiveness. Help us to receive that gift of salvation. Thank you for that security. Knowing that no matter what happens in our life, no matter what happens in our life, that we can hold on to the hope that that we have in Christ Jesus. And now, Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts as we sing the words of this song for the partaking and the remembering of that sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.